Welcome to Album Clash, the podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and pit them against each other inside the ring of death. Two albums enter, only one may leave. Metaphorically. This is Album Clash. Hello, this is Album Clash. My name is Tim and I'm a criminal. My name is Kev. I am not a criminal. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Hello, Kevin. How are you in your law-abiding ways? I am super. How are you in your criminal ways? <laughs> I'm good, thank you very much. You know, a little bit woo, a little bit way, a little bit shh. Are you fun-loving with it, though? <laughs> Always. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Album Clash, everyone. We complete our latest Electro Season Clash this week. So last week, I took us through the KLF's The White Room from 1991. Kev, what are you going through today? So I will be taking us through 1991's The Orbs, Adventures Beyond the Ultra World. And the reason I chose this class, so it's my choice, the reason I chose it is because, well, mainly Jimmy Corty, who was in the KLF, was also originally in The Orb, but also they are two quite influential albums of the early 90s. So there we go. Mm-hmm. Beforehand, however, it is your turn to accuse Video of murdering the radio star. And uh, how will you be convincing the court of this crime this week, Kevin? This week, we will be looking at Wide Open by the Chemical Brothers featuring Beck. Mm. And, wow, this is an amazing video. So, Sonoya Mizuno, ballet dancer... Choreographed by Wayne McGregor of the Royal Ballet. And what occurs in it is that she gradually is transformed into a body with a metallic mesh torso. It's an absolutely staggering and transfixing video. I've watched it so many times this week because the the ballet is, is beautiful. It's beautifully kind of in sync with the music and everything. And just the the sheer precision and skill that goes into into it. It's it's an amazing video to me. Can I read my notes, please? Sure. So, verbatim. Oh, cool, it's a Chemical Brothers video. I really like the Chemical Brothers. Oh, it's a performative dance piece in a warehouse. This will be interesting. The dancer strikes a pose. The camera zooms in on her face. And then she begins, Oh my God, what's happened to her leg? <laughs> Why is she disappearing? Does she need her parents to kiss in the past, just like in Back to the Future? (laughs) (laughs) It is a really interesting video. I mean, I really, really like Wide Open. It's such a beautiful, soft Mm -hmm. song. Not what you'd expect at all from a collaboration between the Chemical Brothers and Beck. But it's so poignant. The sound of it, the lyrics, it's so vulnerable. Yeah, definitely. And I think the way the video shows her exterior disappearing and at one point she lifts up a top and you see her beating heart underneath it 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 really highlights that vulnerability that to me the song Mm -hmm. represents so apparently in the sort of production process so they did a 3d scan of her body and each one of the frames for the entire video they digitally created it so all seven thousand they manipulated and that to in order to to do it and there's a there's amazing sort of bits to it so like the bit where you see her as the kind of mesh body 
thing and you see her in the mirror at the same time like without without the mat it yes. like how the fuck they did that i mean yeah. that's a really utterly clever. stunning so it's directed by guys who they've worked with for a long time dom and nick i, I cannot confirm whether or not they were in the bungalow um <laughs> But they also directed uh, videos like Block, Rock and Beat and Setting Sun. And I think they, did they also do Hey Boy, Hey Girl? Because it's a similar aesthetic in that. With the, I think so, yeah. Well, sexing skeletons. <laughs> so just one one other final note. I watched the video, because I'd never seen the video until you sent it this week. Very familiar with the song, never seen the video. And, and it's a really, really good video, as you said. But I saw Sonoya Mizuno. I was like, where have I seen her from before? Where have I seen it? So I went on IMDb. She plays one of the AI servants from Alex Garland's 2015 film Ex Machina. Wow. So I didn't realise that. Yeah. But it makes a lot of sense. It does indeed make a lot of sense. And listeners, if you haven't seen Ex Machina, stop this podcast now and go and watch it because it's fucking brilliant. I mean, come back to us afterwards. But I will allow you to go and watch Ex Machina before you listen to the rest of this pod. So before you go off to watch Ex Machina, you could also watch the making of video, which is on YouTube. Ooh, okay. Um, It's only about five minutes long, but it's really good. And it shows you exactly um, how they created the video. And it, yeah, it's a, it's a stunning fusion of the digital, the skill of a brilliant choreographer with a brilliant dancer. Uh, yeah, it's great. Well, so what we'll do then is when we, as we usually do, we'll tweet the link out to the video. Uh, in the replies, we'll also tweet the link out to the making of video. Yeah. Because that's the public service we provide to you, our loyal fans. Yeah. Public service broadcasting is, is what we're about. <laughs> To inform, educate, and to entertain. Indeed. I mean, I think maybe we achieve one of those. <laughs> I'm not going to say which one. <laughs> I don't think it's the first two. <laughs> I certainly don't think it's the third one. Actually, no, I don't think it's the third one. I think we might occasionally get to educate. <laughs> right. Good choice of video, Kev. Never seen that video before. Uh, really, really interesting. So thank you very much. And with that, could you please begin taking us through the Orbs Adventures Beyond the Ultra World? So it's the debut studio album by The Orb, released as a double album on the 2nd of April 1991 by Big Life. Just on the double album thing, this could be the first time ever in Album Clash history that the podcast about the album is shorter than the album itself. (laughs) We'll see. So the Orb were made up of Alex Patterson, who started in the music career as a roadie for Killing Joke, of all bands. Mm, Indeed. Before he he left to pursue his own musical interests and became massively influenced by the growing popularity of Chicago House in Britain during the decades. And he sort of linked up with, as we've discussed before, Jimmy Corti, um, who had been involved in a Killing Joke side project, which is called Brilliant with his childhood friend Youth, who subsequently gained a lot of attention uh, remixing U2 stuff later on. And working on producing U2 stuff as well. And, and Indeed. As, and as I'm sure you will go on to, Youth plays quite a significant role on this album. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so Patterson, Corti and Youth perform chill-out DJ sets at Paul Oakenfold's uh, night at the Heaven Nightclub. 
And eventually, Corti and Patterson come together and start releasing stuff with youth involved as well. So, sorry, just to come back to the uh, the DJing. So, this is from an interview with youth, real name Martin Glover, uh, from the Guardian in 2016. He said. Me, Jimmy and Alex set up the first chill-out room called The White Room. We were playing ambient music and film soundtracks. No one danced. They were all lying down. Five or six turntables and we'd all play different records at once. We thought, why don't we do this in a studio? And I think that last quote really gets to the nub of what this album was intended to be. Mm -hmm. So, The Orb begin to release stuff so there's uh 1988's tripping on sunshine and then they released the kiss ep in 1989 and then a huge ever-growing pulsating brain that rules from the center of the ultra world which is the last song on the on the album that's released in 89 so do you know how that well where that was recorded uh no so huge ever-growing pulsating brain as Kev said, that was released as a single on Big Life. It was actually recorded as a Peel session, and they decided to release it as a single. It reached number 78 in the UK, which for an ambient electronic tune of, let's say, some considerable length, is not an insignificant achievement. <laughs> Indeed. It's not a short song. No. So Patterson and Corti start working on the first Orb album, but they split in April 90 due to disagreements about releasing the Orb's work on the KLF communications label. Mm. So Corti released his portions of the planned album as space and then continued in his work with the KLF. And obviously we talked about that last week. Patterson moved on to his next collaboration, Little Fluffy Clouds, which we will talk about in collaboration with Youth. And that track itself was uh, recorded by an 18-year-old studio engineer and future collaborator, Chris Thrash Weston. Indeed it was. So, can I just, I just want to briefly come back to the split, if I may. And I just... So Alex Patterson has done a lot of interviews over the years in which he's quite bitter about a lot of things, let's say, in terms of what's happened to him in the music industry. And one interview he gave with Magnetic Magazine in 2011, where he talked about the separation of him and Jimmy Corti. So as Kev said, Jimmy Corti took the recordings that he had been doing as what was supposed to form the Orb's debut album, released his own album. KLF also, as I mentioned last week, released their Chill Out album. So, Alex Patterson said, KLF put the Chill Out album out, which was basically a bunch of my DJ sessions at Transcentral, which I never got credited for. That was one of the major reasons why Jimmy and I split up. It was becoming apparent to me that everything he said he'd given me, he'd never given me. That shaped quite a lot of things in my head. Never to be ripped off again, I suppose. Don't worry, I got ripped off again. But as Jimmy said to me, you're never really famous until you've been ripped off. Yeah, Alex Patterson has clearly been quite jaded by some of his experiences in the new music industry, let's put it that way. Yeah. So, April 91, the album is released, does pretty well across the UK and Europe, but receives very good critical acclaim, reaches number 29 on the UK albums chart. Um, they signed a deal to release the album in the US, but were forced to edit the double disc down to 70 minutes 41. So, Perpetual Dawn... Aren't they the guys that Hans Gruber insists are released in Die Hard? (laughs) He read about them in Forbes magazine. 
So there's there's a remix by Youth, and there are various you know songs removed from it in order to fit to the demands of the US label. Mm. Um, eventually, the full double disc version and cassette. Obviously, we're in ninety one. <laughs> well, the cassettes have made a comeback, haven't they? Supposedly so, yeah. Because you cannot replicate the skill of trying to um, fit a perfect mix onto a C sixty, or getting a tangled tape untangled with a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, full double disc version and cassette were later released in the US by Island Records. Indeed. So, do you have anything more you want to talk about the background? Couple of things. Okay. So, in terms of the recording, apparently it only took three weeks to record the whole album, but apparently they used at least six studios and 20 outside musicians to contribute to the album and as you listen to the album you can sort of understand why because it it is a it is an ambitious project let's say it is very ambitious and just the last thing i want to say just in terms of alex patterson's influences so another interview with the guardian this time in 2003 he said grosser's vasa by cluster and music for films by brian eno are the albums that got me into ambient music in the first place i dropped acid and listened to those two albums and thought my god this is brilliant he also said without craft work i can't imagine what modern music would be like techno which has been the mainstay of dance music for the last 15 years stems entirely from them it's clear that we were a new generation we weren't pink floyd it was a natural evolution of dance music in this country, and it basically came from spilling out of clubs at three in the morning and ending up at someone's house. And again, I think that last quote really symbolises what this album is intended to be. And I think the first couple of quotes on the influences also, you can certainly tell on quite a lot of the tracks so that, mm-hmm. that those acts influenced the sound. So, um, yep, yeah, that's me. Okay. So, before we talk about the artwork, how did you first come across this album? All right, so everyone knows Little Fluffy Clouds because it was a staple of club nights in the 90s. And that was my first introduction to the orb. But it was only in the last couple of years that I've actually listened to the whole album. Early 2020, they released their latest album, Abolition of the Royal Familiar. And at that point, because I, re- I listened to that, I was like, oh, this is fucking good. Why have I never listened to more Orb? So I just went back and listened to their back catalogue. So yeah, it's about two years ago I first heard this album. How about you? So for me, again, came into this, never hearing uh, the album, heard uh, Little Fluffy Clouds, that was it. Okay. So it was completely new to me. And yeah, obviously we'll talk about how I found it. Mm, indeed we will. But shall we talk about the artwork first? So yeah, the artwork, uh, the cover for the album was designed by graphic design collective The Designers Republic, as opposed to The Designers Monarchy, which they had uh, broken away from. (laughs) The Designers Autocracy had been overthrown. (laughs) They didn't, it wasn't a people's republic, so you know. So they are credited for Orb Sonic, Love, Deep Space and Sampling Image in the Linear Notes. Um... The album booklet also features an image of Battersea Power Station as photographed by Richard Cheadle, no relation to Don. How do you know? Don <laughs> Cheadle's a cockney from his amazing accent in Ocean's Eleven, so it could be. So the Battersea Power Station image was utilised as a cover art for the US release of the album, so it's sort of in the background with that orb kind of symbol logo. over, over yeah. the top of it. So the logo itself is pure early 90s. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, just look at the Prodigy logo as well, side by side with the Orb logo, and and you tell me they weren't spawned from a similar mind. So between the two, well, before we before we get to that, I'm sorry. Okay. I find the US album cover more interesting. It is. It's a, the, it's a better I think cover. The addition of the Battersea Power Station. So that, that apparently is a um, nod to the cover of Pink Floyd's Animals. Well, I was about to say because obviously it's very famously on the cover of Animals. Yeah. So yes, the the US cover is more interesting than the UK cover. I don't think either of these two album covers is particularly outstanding. I think I prefer the White Room to the original UK version of the Orbs. Yeah, agreed. Had it been the Battersea Power Station, the the American version, maybe it's a different argument. But the, on that cover, there is also an image of uh, cumulonimbus clouds over the Congo Basin, which were taken. Indeed, there are. In April nineteen eighty three by the Space Shuttle Challenger. Lovely bit of cumulonimbus. <laughs> Gotta love some cumulonimbus. Gotta love them. Okay, um, should we get into the album itself? Yeah, go on then, because uh, I mean, there's not much to talk about here. No. Um, okay, so we open with Little Fluffy Clouds. So the sample that is repeated throughout the song is of Ricky Lee Jones, an American singer. Jones's record company was upset at the unauthorised use of her voice and initially sought to pursue a claim via the legal system. Big Life, so the record company, decided to settle out of court for an undisclosed sum of money for her use of her voice on the Orbs recording. So it was an interview that she did with a with a journalist that kind of went out as a sampler with one of her albums. It was like a promo for one of her albums, yeah. So yeah. yeah. So in 2016, Patterson said the record company paid $5,000 US to use the sample. Asked about the sample in an interview years later, Ricky Lee Jones referred to the orb as those fuckers. <laughs> I mean, all I'll say to that is I wouldn't know who Ricky Lee Jones was were it not for this tune. Absolutely not. Now, all respect to her, to be fair, if you are sampled without your knowledge, I'm sure it would be quite surprising. But anyway, yeah, I've got, I've got a bit more from that Alex Patterson quote because there's some bits about the song itself which i'll come back to in a bit mm-hmm. but about the sample he says once it was a smash ricky lee jones wanted some cash for our use of her vocal so the record company coughed up five thousand dollars years later we got a letter from steve reich's lawyers because there's also a steve reich sample on there mm-hmm. but he was a proper gentleman he wanted 20 percent from then on and asked us to do a remix of one of his tunes which we did okay i'm sure he was a proper gentleman about it but you seem bitter about five grand, yet much less so about 20% of the royalties. I mean... Yeah, that, I mean, that's significantly more. One would assume so, anyway. Well, and the so it also features samples of a brilliant Morricone tune, which is uh, Man With Harmonica, which I fucking adore that piece of music. Well, uh, so, uh, and I adore the film it accompanies. So that's from yes. Once Upon a Time in the West, which is fucking brilliant. Indeed. Can we just say uh, we are both big Morricone fans? Yeah, we love Morricone. I mean, we we may well do something about film soundtracks at some point. And he's going to come up if we do. Oh, God, yeah. And it also includes an excerpt from uh, the Radio 4 programme, You and Yours. (laughs) Yeah, right at the start. 
Which apparently at a sort of 20th anniversary thing, um, they got John Waite, who did you and yours. Terry's lad. <laughs> One for the kids. <laughs> yeah, like got him to come up on stage and read the yeah. actual bit that's uh, sampled within the song. Indeed. Uh, so another couple of samples, the sort of that guitar sounding sample is the Steve Reich sample from the track Electric Counterpoint. And the drum sample, quite surprisingly this, is from the track Jump Into The Fire by Harry Nilsson. But it's massively slowed down on the track. Yes, and they they only admitted that much later because they didn't want to get sued. Because uh, it's taken from the uh, Nilsson Schmilson uh, album, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, okay, so just going back to Alex Patterson on this, he said again to The Guardian... When Jimmy and I fell out and youth said we could make a better record together, it was a challenge. He plays a bass line and a keyboard riff, but Little Fluffy Clouds is basically a song made from samples. And he then goes on to list the samples. Mm -hmm. He also says, not many people know that there's a Lee Scratch Perry sample on there either. I'm not saying which of his tracks were used, so good luck finding it. Bit harsh, he's passed away now, (laughs) Alex, come on. And then finally says, youth had just had a massive hit with Blue Pearls Naked in the Rain. Tune. When the record label Big Life signed Blue Pill, they wanted a second act to develop and chose the Orb. Youth and our sound engineer Thrash made a short version of Little Fluffy Clouds to release as a seven-inch single. I thought it was too poppy, but people loved it. So, what do you think? What a tune. Timeless. It's a classic. Okay. Everything, to me at least, works brilliantly with everything else. In the same ways we said about Fatboy Slim the other week. I am Norm. <laughs> it bears repeating here, to create something that is so cohesive out of disparate elements like that, to me, is mind-blowing. I think this is fucking great. Okay. So, I think it's a really interesting opener. I think the samples work great, and the synth part creates a great hook to build from, and the complexity of the song grows from that. And you can also see the influence of this on what comes later, particularly Chemical Brothers, particularly Brothers Gonna Work It Out. 100%. The track's called Leave Home, by the way, but yes, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, re- I really liked uh, Little Fluffy Clouds. I think, it, I think it works really well. I did enjoy it. You had me worried for a second there. I thought you were going to start slagging it. No, I've said what I say. It's great. It's, this is a classic. It's brilliant. Okay. So we move on to the next song on the album, which is Earth, brackets, Gaia. Mm-hmm. So it opens with a sample from Flash Gordon. It does the indeed. great Max von Sydow. Legend. Um, as Ming the Merciless himself, who looks nothing at all like uh, Vladimir Illich. <laughs> no, nothing at all. Mm. I mean, that's great, isn't it? I want a new plaything. I'm bored. It's Yeah, it's... Uh... So it's also got vocal samples from Hendrik van Dyke reading passages from the Bible, as well as a drum sample from Tower of Power by Squib Cakes, not to be confused with Trunk of Funk by Craig Charles. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? So it really takes a while to get going. Once it gets going, it's perfectly fine, but it's far too long for something that doesn't really go anywhere for me i mean we're in trouble if that's what you're going on track two. Oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh 
fucking yeah. We'll get into that. Okay. I disagree. I really like this. The synths at the start sound very, very orbital. You know, a lot like Satan. Uh, So Orbital were coming out at a similar sort of time. Their debut album came out in September of 91. And they're an act I'm going to come back to quite a few times because I think there's undoubtedly a huge, huge influence on Orbital sound from the Orb. I very nearly chose Orbital to go up against the KLF, but the Orb was a more obvious one. I'm, I'm a big fan of Orbital. No, I like this. I think what you have to appreciate about this album, it's a concept album. Mm-hmm. And the concept is a journey through space to beyond the ultra world. Yeah, I, c- I completely get that. So obviously you start with Fluffy Clouds, you then go to Earth, then the next track, mm. which is Supernova at the end of the universe. So I I get the concept. So I, I completely understand where you're coming from. Yes, it's nearly 10 minutes long. Yes, it doesn't develop. Yes, it's the same thing for the entire runtime. I don't care. I like it. <laughs> Sorry. And I know I'm contradicting things I've said on previous clashes. Give a shit. Like it. No, but that but that's the thing. Like we've talked about it before, and there's been tracks that I've been happy with where it's a bit repetitive, but I've liked that repetition. I've enjoyed enjoyed it. Like if you get into it, then you're having a lovely time. If you don't, it's a hard old song to listen to. It's a hard old hard old album it, to it, listen it, to. It is. I did warn you guys a couple of weeks ago. I said it's long. I said it's an ambient electronic album. You know couple of things i just want to say so about seven minutes in we get what to me sounds like a pravda announcement about something happening in azerbaijan so i'd be interested to know what that was <laughs> and then we end with the launch of apollo 11 and obviously fans of public service broadcasting will be very familiar with some of the samples that are taken from that well and that leads us perfectly into supernova at the end of the universe because it continues to sample from the apollo missions throughout this it does indeed it also has a vocal sample from a sex pistols interview album uh, some product although it doesn't call him a dirty fucker no it doesn't it's it, it's a fella saying uh, i'm 28 and i've been waiting for music like this my whole life which again is repeated throughout mm-hmm. And a drum sample from uh, Synthetic Substitution by Melvin Bliss. No idea. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you think of this near 12-minute song, Kev? Would you like my notes? Uh, I have a feeling I'm going to get them whether I want them or not. Well, yeah, you you fucking are. You made me listen to this. (laughs) You made me listen to the fucking klaxons, mate. (laughs) Is this your revenge? No, I was going to pick this anyway. Right, come on, get on with it. I'm I'm getting the concept, and it's perfectly nice, but I need a bit more going on. Christ, I'm seven minutes in. Fuck me, I'm bored. There's a nice bass line that's coming here, but fucking hell, will you get on with it? (laughs) Oh, dear. I mean... um... And so I did make a note beneath this and said... Maybe the problem here is they've been aped and copied by so many poorer artists that my patience for this style, for this kind of meandering muse on on these themes, maybe maybe that's why I've got a, a little less patience for it because I, that's been overtaken by other poorer imitators. Perhaps, yeah. I'm going to come back to the influences. So Alex Patterson says, we're not Pink Floyd. And I, 
no, I accept that. But there is a massive debt, I think, to Pink Floyd in the sprawling, rambling sounds of this album. Rambling is reductive and harsh. Because I like this track. I'll come on to that in a minute. So I think there's a massive debt to Pink Floyd owed by this album. But Eno, Alex Patterson mentioned Eno. And I know you mentioned Bowie pretty much every clash. I'm going to bring Bowie up now. Okay. Heroes and Low in particular. Two albums I know you love. Mm-hmm. Both of which could be described as Brian Eno albums. Both of which have got sprawling, ambient, electronic wanderings on them. Which this is. So, so what's the difference? So, yes. And Pink Floyd, the, we've t- we talked about Pink Floyd last week. And I, I don't mind Pink Floyd. But I think my issue with this, as opposed to the Bowie Berlin stuff and Pink Floyd, is that there's more going on. This is, to me, this is the same theme just stretched out over a long period of time. And you see, that's where I disagree. I think there's a lot going on in this. So, brutally honest, this isn't one of my favourite tracks on the album, Supernova, The End of the Universe. You've got the constant drumbeat, as you said. You've got various atmospheric sounds that drift in and out. There are other songs which have those elements coming in and out more obviously than this. This isn't one of my favourites. But what I do think it does is it follows on from the previous track. So you're now out of the Earth's atmosphere. You are starting to drift through space. And you have the sense of things drifting in and out of your peripheral vision and hearing as you do that. So I don't agree that it's the same thing throughout. There is a constancy. And all of the tracks on this have a constancy and I use constancy rather than consistency. There is a there is a bed mm-hmm. which stays the same throughout. That's very deliberate. What I've written on this track in particular, you listen to this, you can really understand why Primal Screen wanted the orb to contribute to higher than the sun. No, I get I, I get that. I get that completely. This is a track to sit back and let drift over you. It's the sort of music to soothe you through your come down. That's what this album is supposed to be. We we are coming back to something that you had a problem with on Oxygen, and I didn't. And I maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, and if I am, I apologise. And it comes to the fact that music is subjective. If you are ever moved to enjoy music washing over you and allowing yourself to be immersed in it, then this is an album for you. Mm-hmm. If you're not, if you're looking for something that moves you more elementally this isn't for you no i think you 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 may well come to and maybe this is a fundamental a fundamental difference between my approach to music and yours i don't like music as filler i like something giving me a visceral reaction even if i hate it i like something engendering a passion and something washing over me that's problematic because if it washes over me, and I know I spoke last week about about some stuff washing over me, but in a good way. But generally, I find if if it's sort of just passing me by, then it's not done for me what I want a piece of art, a piece of music to do. I, I want it to engender a reaction, a feeling, a thought, a, 
you know, a Proustian rush of um, an emotion or a memory or something like that. This isn't doing that for me at all. So that's a slight difference to what I was saying, because I'm not saying that's why I like it, because I agree with you. This does engender an emotional response in me, and that emotion is calm. Okay. Immersive. I understand your point. You would rather listen to something which you have a visceral dislike of than something which leaves you cold. So you'd rather listen to the Baha men than the Orb. I understand. It's fine. (laughs) I think we are at a, a philosophical divergence here. Yeah. And that's a good thing. It is. It is. And I that's why, aside from the obvious connection, that's why I chose this and not Orbital. Mm-hmm. Because I knew this would be a far more challenging listen for people that aren't already aware of what it is they're going to be listening to. Okay. But, back to Supernova at the end of the universe, it isn't my favourite track on the album. Even I think it is a little bit too monotonous. Mm-hmm. Although I didn't have anywhere near the adverse reaction to it that you have. Okay. Let's move on to Backside of the Moon. Mm. Mm. Can I read my first note? <laughs> Go on. I bet Kev hates this. And I can fully understand why. For one thing, it's over 14 minutes long. For another, it really doesn't go anywhere. And also, it sounds like it's taken from any number of terrible, relaxing reflexology music albums. But I still can't say that I hate it. So, would you like me to read my notes? (laughs) Please do. I get trying to create an atmosphere and the concept of it. It simply does nothing for me. And essentially, it's reminding me of shops where you can buy joysticks from. (laughs) Exactly as I just said. Hi, mind. <laughs> I knew that's what your reaction to this would be. I am not having a lovely time. It's going on forever. I appreciate the craft, but I fucking hate this. <laughs> wow. So you've got a visceral reaction. Yeah. I mean, it's it's done better than the previous song. I am not having a lovely time. <laughs> okay. Right, so for me, this really does conjure up images of drifting through space around the dark side of the moon. The sun's light is obscured, and so you're starting to see the wonders of deep space unfold before your eyes in a way that you can't possibly conceive of when you're on Earth. It's not a song. It's not a song, this, okay? Nothing on this album is a song. No. But as a piece of ambient music as part of a concept album to represent a stage in the journey... I think it works. It's another good continuation from Supernova, from the song that you've had before. So you're even more ethereal now because you've not got a sampled drum beat now. You've got congas, you've got running water and rainfall, the waves crashing on the shore. Yeah, I can completely understand what you're saying. It does sound like music that gets played in a new age shop. It does sound like the sort of thing you hear on a spa day. Turn tape over. <laughs> Obligatory Simpsons reference complete. But is that because, as you said, this has been aped by so many less proficient artists since? I accept that that's entirely possible, but I I fucking hated it, and I tried I tried listening to it several like this album several times, and I am having a fucking dreadful time. <laughs> I am looking forward to the scoring. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah is be here now gonna get a run for its money today Kev? i'm not gonna say 
but I think you might be able to guess. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so glad I chose this. But it is, it is better when we disagree. We're having debate. We're having clash. I am. Um, so a double album. This is. Why do I keep talking like Yoda on this clash? Anyway. <laughs> is that because you've been influenced by the space theme? <laughs> Obviously, yeah. So this is a double album. What I will freely admit is that even for me, side two of the four is the side with which I have least affinity. That's not to say I dislike it, but yeah. I'm going to hold me water till we get there. (laughs) Okay, let's move on to the next song on the album. uh, Spanish Castles in Space. (laughs) What do you think, So. There's a nice gentle jazz vibe at the start with the double bass and everything. And that that's nice. I like that. <laughs> but that passes. <laughs> and then nothing fucking happens. No! Wrong! Like, honestly, I didn't think it was possible to be bored. Bored by an album? This is this is fucking deadly to me. Like <laughs> Like, at this point, I genuinely thought, is this a punishment? <laughs> Have you picked this album because I picked the Claxons the other week and you wanted to punish me because you knew that I knew that you didn't like the Claxons? Honestly, completely honest, no, that is not the case. I was going to pick this anyway. I'd I'd picked the clashes I was going to do for Electro Season fucking weeks before we started doing Electro Season and I was always going to do influential ones from the 70s, the 80s and the 90s and these were the ones I was doing. So no, that's not the case but it's quite funny. (laughs) (laughs) So, again, allow me to read my notes. I'm starting to think they're deliberately trolling Kev here. Every track is longer than the one that preceded it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I think this does progress a bit because I think there are things that build in, different elements come in and go out. There's more variety. Yes, you've got that double bass riff that is constant throughout the song. But you've got things, that, you know, you've got birds calling, cicadas chirping, sheep barring in a jungle. What? What's going on there? In a fucking castle. In space. It's 5am. Everyone's on a massive come down. No one wants it to end, so I don't want to go to bed. Everyone's too knackered, so no one can be asked to put something else on the stereo. That's what this is. And to me, that that is a fucking absolute testament to this. Nobody can be asked to get up and put something good on. We will put on the fucking musical equivalent of Rybeta. It is fucking This is not... No, it's not. I'm sorry, it's not. Because look at your reaction. You said minutes ago that you have a problem with music that doesn't engender an emotional response. You have very much had an emotional response to this. It is not a positive one. But you have a visceral dislike of this. True. I will give you that. So you can fuck off with your Rybeta comparisons. (laughs) Couple of facts on this one. So, there's a piano sample of the Spartacus love theme by Bill Evans. <laughs> there's also some, uh, which I thought you'd appreciate actually, some BBC Radiophonic Workshop samples in there. No. <laughs> 
There are also a couple of vocal samples from a Russian-speaking album uh, about the audible and bioelectric sounds made by fish. So, you know how much of a a Russophile <laughs> yes. I am. And not even the fact that there were various bits of Russian in there. On one listen, like, I got my Russian to English dictionary out to try and translate some of it, because at least that gave me something <laughs> to enjoy. Big fan of this one, then. <laughs> Fucking huge fan. <laughs> Shall we move on? Let's move on to Perpetual Dawn, which honestly, like, this is how I'm feeling. It's, the night will not end. Fuck off, grow up. <laughs> Fucking expand your horizons for a change, for fuck's sake. This one's shorter for you. It's only nine minutes long. What the fuck do you think about it? Yeah. <laughs> so, this one, I thought it started much better. And I like the drum loop and the general vibe of it. Uh-huh. Yeah, a, where's the book? Well, come on. So about the five-minute mark, I'm bored again. What the... Like, it's the same shit going on and on. <sighs> yeah, it is. It is. We're back to the philosophical point. You either respond to it or you don't, and, and you don't. So fine, okay. There's n- yeah. To, right, to the song itself, tune. It's very left-field sounding. Dub reggae. That's really what I engage yeah. with, is that I like the left field sound to it. So the way it started, I was fine with. My, I think my biggest problem is that it then continues to be the same thing, and I need I need more going on for me. I, I, and I know I'm, I've said the same previously, and I'm going to try and explain my contradiction. What I get annoyed by is albums that want to have their cake and to eat it albums that want to be an accessible pop album but also have the experimental side of things i go back to when we went through yazoo the other week you had i before e which was an eight nine minute experimental nonsense in the middle of a synth pop album it doesn't fit doesn't work not having it this album is exactly what it pertains to be it's an ambient electronic concept album. The other thing I'd say is, go back to 1991, not just in terms of what was happening musically at the time. What's everyone on? This is literally, mm-hmm. we've all been out, and it is five in the morning. We are all on a massive come down. How the fuck are we going to calm ourselves down? That's what this is. That's literally how they developed the sound. Go back to what we read at the start about, they started off doing ambient DJ sets. Why don't we do this in a studio? That's what they were doing. They were put, they were creating music to soothe people through a come down. That's what this album is. So I am going to challenge you somewhat. Please do. Because um, in fact, on this part, you have railed against the ambient chill out mix. Uh-huh. And is this not that writ large? Yes and no. The issue I have with those ambient compilation albums is actually a lot of what was in there was just here's a slow song and so let's stick it on an album label it as chill out and off we go here's a pop song with a slow beat off you go this isn't that this isn't opportunistic i accept the fact that it's very difficult to listen to even the first time i listened to it it was like okay it's not what i expected to do all right okay but it isn't opportunistic, it isn't cynical, it's self-indulgent. I will freely admit that, it's extremely self-indulgent. But it is serving a purpose to the audience to which it is targeted. 
it's the corporate cynicism that I have a problem with on those chill out albums. Okay. This to me isn't that. This to me is engineered for a particular audience. Okay. It's a perfectly fair perspective. Uh, only the thing I've got to say about Perpetual Dawn is it was released as a single in 91. It reached number 61 then. It was re-released in 94. It reached number 18. And again, for a near 10-minute ambient electro song, number 18. Mm-hmm. Fair play. No, you know, like, it, whilst I may have my response to it, clearly it found they found an audience who, who engaged with it. I was not one of them. <laughs> I'm... You know, I wasn't one of them at the time, but that's because I didn't listen to it. Like, and I'm not one of them now. Anyway, let's move into the fourth dimension. Yeah, let's. Okay, so what I've said is this starts really weirdly, even for this album. Mm-hmm. It's quite sinister. You've got a sort of deep bass chord that rings out, some Teutonic percussion, and then obviously that choral singing, which is a vocal sample from Giorgio Allegri's Miserere. But then you've got a pure 90s beat, and it comes alive. So, I mentioned earlier, it's 5am, and no one can be asked changing the record. On this one, I'm at Glastonbury, I'm in the Glade, and everyone is absolutely chewing their face off. <laughs> I mean, that, to be honest, like you could, you could be playing anything. You could be playing white noise at that time in the glade and people would be chewing their face off. So, you know, that's not really... Yeah, a fair point. But I get the point you're making. Um, So for me, we get about three minutes in. I like the string bit. That's Verdi's Lamoroso. So, yeah, like, I like that. Verdi, good lad. (laughs) Done good there, kid. Uh, we get about five minutes in, and there's a there's like quite a nice keyboard bit in, which is retaining my attention. It's too long. Uh, you've said that about everything. Yeah, but it is too I, long. I, okay, fine. I, I don't think it is. <laughs> I, I think this is nuts enough to fit on this album, but traditional enough in its structure, traditional in inverted commas, to stand out. Chemical Brothers, Left Field, Orbital all clearly influenced by this. Yeah. And in itself, I can very much hear the Kraftwerk influence here, that Teutonic percussion at the start, some of the bleeps and whirs of the synths that come in. I like it. You're wrong. Okay, fair enough. Let's move on to Outlands. So I think this follows on quite nicely from Into the Fourth Dimension. It's got a really eclectic mix of samples, synths, rhythms... It's very much of its time, again, as we said of a few things about the White Room, but there's nothing wrong with that for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, So, again, I accept by this point I am contradicting pretty much everything I've said in the past about ambient music that doesn't go anywhere. As long as we're all okay with that, we're on board with that, fine, because I like this. So, for a, con- for a counterpoint of view, if you're not on board with it, it takes about two minutes to get going, and then we get a nice riff, and a nice little kind of 8-bit Casio underbeat. And then it goes nowhere. And we just repeat ad nauseum until the end of the song. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) So, again, it's not a pop song. It's a piece on a concept album. 
I'm okay when things stay in their lane. I'm sorry. Staying in your lane, fine. This is in the middle fucking lane of the motorway. Like, everyone's undertaking and overtaking. It is not going anywhere. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> My problem comes when there's a sneering, knowing attempt to bridge gaps. That's when I get annoyed. Particularly when that sneering, knowing attempt is when it's by a bunch of failed millennial sociology students who can fuck all the way off. <laughs> I like it. It's eclectic. I, I, I don't think it's the same thing all the way through. I think, again, sit back and listen to this and let it wash over you and you hear bits coming in and out. If that's not what you're in it for, fine. Okay, I can't do anything for you. I'm just repeating myself over and over again here, much like this album does. Okay, it does. <laughs> I mean, there's there's not going to be a huge amount of uh, shock what's going to come with the with the next two songs, really, is that? I have to say, I you challenged me, quite rightly, on my disdain for chill-out sessions, etc. Mm-hmm. I, I would put it back at you again. Floyd and Eno, it's from the same school, in my opinion, and I don't understand, I don't understand how you can at least appreciate one and have such a visceral dislike of the other. So for me, like, because you talked about before, like, how can you balance ambience with pop? Well, you have the first side of low, and then you have the second side of low, which is balancing the two. Well, you could argue it's not balancing the two. There are people that would argue that there are two very different albums between low and heroes. And actually, if you'd had the first side of low with the first side of heroes, you've got one of the greatest pop albums of all time. And then if you've got the second side of low with the second side of heroes, you've got one of the best ambient albums of all time. But hey, who am I to judge? Um, so, like I think the, there is a lot more going, and maybe this is. And I will hold my hand up and say that there is more than likely bias talking here. That for me, musically, there is a lot more going on. There is more movement going on. This, to me, is the same thing repeated over and over. If you if you take something like Shine on Your Crazy Diamond, going to to the Floyd thing, there is a starting theme that comes in and out of the music but it goes in other places throughout it to me this is you get a theme and you found that and then you just drive that through for 10 minutes and that does nothing for me okay i'm gonna come back to that in a minute because i disagree but i think that's more prominent on the closing track of the album so Mm -hmm. on that point about returning and drifting away from your main theme we'll come back to that okay just a couple of things uh, amongst the samples on this are a Booty Collins sample, the track Disciples of Funk, and Europe Endless by Kraftwerk from the album Trans Europe Express, which is great, as I said before. There is also a sample of a track called Blackboard Jungle Dub by The Upsetters. The only reason I mention that is because that sample is also used by Left Field on their track Inspection Check One. If there was a bit more booty... If there was a bit more upsetters, I'd be having a much lovelier time. <laughs> okay, fine. Move on. Okay, so let's move on to star six plus seven, eight, nine. Mm. Why was six afraid of seven? Because seven, eight, nine. Hey! <laughs> so what did you just call it? The Casio Jazz Freakout. <laughs> That fly buzzing around at the start is really annoying, isn't it? Particularly when you listen to the album through headphones. Yes, yes, it really is. 
And I bet, I bet if you were off your tits when you were listening to this, you're like, because someone saw that out. <laughs> Open the window. Yes. What do you think of this, Kev? Um, there are things that I didn't hate about it. <laughs> so I, I liked a bit of the freak out. Goes on far too long. I couldn't wait for the end, though. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, I'm dying for the end of this song. Like, honestly, by this point, I like, seriously, is this, is this like, is there this hidden camera here? And Tim has picked an album that he knows I'm going to fucking hate. I mean, I did pick an album I knew you were going to hate. I that's that was I, I absolutely <laughs> knew your your reaction was going to be to this. Okay, <laughs> you bastard. It's good. So I think this is this is the first time we've ever had such a fundamental disagreement about an entire album. We've had disagreements about tracks before. But about an entire album, this is the first. So genuinely, I did want to bring some of that in. Because it's hopefully more interesting to our listeners. <laughs> right, what I've written about this track. This sounds like it could soundtrack a daytime TV show. Either about watercolour painting, antique hunting, or one of those ones where retired NIMBY types try to unironically leave the country so they can join part of an expat community that never attempts to assimilate, and in doing so become everything they've always complained about, but still somehow to manage to blame it on the foreigners, because they're despicable pricks who represent everything wrong with this country and the way it perceives itself and the world around it. <clears throat> Sorry, where was I? <laughs> Uh, it's not a great tune. This, it's. Um, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it. I, I don't. I don't really get it. No. <laughs> <sighs> okay. We go on to the song with the unnecessarily long fucking title. The longest titled track ever to chart in the UK. So a huge, ever-growing, pulsating brain that rules from the centre of the ultra world. Do you know from where the title is derived? I do not. So, it is taken from a sound effects track from the BBC TV series Blake 7. Fair enough. So, samples. Originally, it contained a sample of Minnie Riperton's Loving You. It's easy because you're beautiful. Uh, but I'm not sure if you're going to come on to speak about this. That sample was replaced by a sound alike. There is also a choral vocal sample from Grace Jones's Slave to the Rhythm. Oh, God, uh, if only... If only it was that. <laughs> go, okay, go on. Would you like verbatim notes again? If that's what you want to read, you go right ahead, my friend. Okay. Honestly, I had enough by now, and the prospect of a 20-minute song like what's gone before <laughs> honestly made me want to kill Tim for his choice of album. I listened to a podcast about Guernica earlier, and I enjoyed that more. Do you know what? I think this would be a great track to listen to whilst looking at Guernica. What, because it's like torture? (laughs) I mean, like, when I heard the Minnie Ripperton bit, it just made me pine to listen to Minnie Ripperton. Like, the funny thing is, there are bits I like small tiny little bits but they are repeated so often and for so long that I lose any kind of affection or positive feeling towards it when the song ended I had an overwhelming feeling of relief that this torture had ended 
So is this the CIA black site of albums? <laughs> You've made me die. <laughs> Fuck's sake, Ken, I've just had COVID. Come on. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, fucking hell. Like, seriously, as I said, I listened to a thing about the bombing of Guernica and, and a vivid description of what happened. That was more enjoyable than this track. I'd rather listen to Franco's crimes against humanity than listen to this again. <sighs> to calm yourself down, talk about the Minnie Ripperton sample. Oh, Minnie Ripperton. She's got a lovely voice. <laughs> yeah, she has. But it's not her on this. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, yeah, the um, the single was released based on the live recording from the Peel session. When it got released, the Orb got uh, a fairly sternly worded complaint from Manny Ripperton's record company. And at that point, the sample was removed and replaced with a recording from a, another female vocalist, uncredited. Um, so it's not actually Manny Ripperton singing on this track. But I really wished it was. <laughs> okay, this is pretentious. It's overblown, it's cumbersome, but I fucking love it. This is where I want to come back to Shine On You Crazy Diamond. And as you said, and I agree with you completely, that theme that is central to the track, but it comes in and comes out. That ascending synth part, which is like the peeling of church bells, and the fact they've got the actual peeling of church bells coming in and out through the track really highlights that as well. That's the central theme of this track, and it does come in and go out through the track, and other things drift in and out. You've got that Grace Jones sample. I think it's great. That choral thing that comes in and out. So what I what I will accept, and you may well have a point there in terms of the themes coming in and out. I think by this point, and particularly with it being 20 minutes long, <laughs> I had had my fucking belly full. Every time I listened to it, I got to this and I was like, fuck's sake, I'm going to have to strap in for another 20 minutes of this. And so I wasn't in the mind to be able to appreciate that there was possibly more going on and i hold my hands up and say that it does say more about you than it does the album so i'm glad you can you can be man enough to admit that (laughs) but like i had had enough i wanted i wanted it to end i i was gonna sign whatever confession they put in front of me at that point (laughs) i love big brother (laughs) i love big brother I was going to say, is this what would be played in your room 101? Yes. I'll go to the I'll go to the Olive Tree Cafe, hear this in the fucking background, and say, I love Big Brother. You have broken my spirit. Oh my god. I think this is a wonderful psychedelic soundscape. And it does, it, it evokes floating through time and space. Like in Interstellar, where Matthew McConaughey somehow becomes a fifth dimensional being. In a library. In, all, in a library, exactly. In all seriousness, and I do mean in all seriousness, I actually think Hans Zimmer may well have drawn some inspiration from this album when he was composing the Interstellar soundtrack. Because that soundtrack is similarly sprawling and bombastic at the same time, just like this track is. So are you are you not suggesting that he drew inspiration from this when doing the Going for Gold soundtrack? <laughs> when he may have. No, because that was before this. So <laughs> Now I like it. 
Sorry, Kev. I really do like it. I'm going to ask you... So you've been quite clear about your emotional reaction to this album. Fine. Mm -hmm. Is there at least part of you that appreciates the craft, that appreciates the concept that they have tried to lay down on record, setting aside your misgivings about length? So, without question, there is a craft to it. I do not get it. Musically, I do not. It does nothing for me. However, I accept that um, whilst it may not do anything for me, they're not fucking bums. Like, you know, they... They can they can make a tune. They can do so much more than I could ever do. So I accept that. It just it's not even that it leaves me cold. Honestly, I found it exhausting. I found it. it I, I don't even know what kind of analogies to give it. It was like a saw an Aaron Sorkin script with a Tarantino direction. I mean, I'm watching that film. (laughs) (laughs) As are you, let's be clear. Well, the thing is, like, that could be brilliant or awful, and you know exactly what I mean, and you would very much be on one side of that. Yeah, that's true. Okay, what I will say is I'm really, really anticipating what you're going to score this album, because you've said, even on this recording... And I'm going to put your own words back at you. You would rather listen to something that gives you a visceral negative reaction than something that washes over you and leaves you cold. This very clearly does not leave you cold as an album. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say. For me, allow this to wash over you. Allow yourself to be consumed by it. And then it will all make sense. It's a brilliant closer. Allow yourself to be consumed by the virus. Allow yourself to be consumed by the huge, ever-growing, pulsating trapper keeper that rules from the centre of... (laughs) (laughs) Long-time South Park callback. Wow, yeah. All right, I've got nothing else to say. No, I've got I've got nothing else uh, productive to say about this album. <laughs> You've had nothing productive to say for quite some time. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Have you got some reviews for us? Yeah, so uh, very much unlike me, the vast majority of reviews were massively positive. So the contemporary reviews, the enemy dubbed it as an album sounding like Pink Floyd without all the self-indulgent solos. I'm just going to leave that hanging there. (laughs) So Lex Russell Brown wrote the long and strange as it is. I definitely agree with long adventures beyond the ultra world is without doubt a good trip. And, you know, subsequently, like the reviews have not like sort of dropped off. So John Bush of all music described it as the album that defined the ambient house movement. You know, the, it has retained its import in sort of dance music history. No matter what I feel about it, it has been massively influential. And even, you know, we both referenced, you know, the Chemical Brothers and the influence on them with, without question. You can you can see that. Well, I'll come on to influences in, in the legacy bit. I'd, I'd just like to read a passage from the John Bush review, if I may. Sure. With a clever balance of BBC Radiophonics workshop soundtracks, 70s ambient meisterworks by Eno, Hillage and Floyd, plus the steady influence of Larry Heard's sublime Chicago house, Adventures Beyond the Ultra World is the album that defined the ambient house movement. I can't disagree with that. Okay. Nobby time? 
Yeah, let's get into Nobby. Not Nobby time. No Nobby this week. He has not reviewed this album. I didn't think there was, actually. Should we do some Legacy? Yeah, let's do... So, the the album itself obviously did incredibly well. And they released UFO Orb, which is the next album. The, so, the lead single from UFO Orb was Blue Room. That had Yawabal on bass, who we've spoken about when we went through Scream and Delica. The song, which ran to nearly 40 minutes in length, entered the nearly 40, 40 minutes in Not length. Not even Floyd did that to me. <laughs> entered the UK charts at number 12, eventually peaking at number 8. Number 8! It is the longest track ever to chart in the UK. The Orb promoted the single with a performance on Top of the Pops where Patterson and Weston played a game of chess in spacesuits while footage of dolphins and an edited version of Blue Room ran in the background. And why not? <laughs> At least they didn't dump a dead sheep and a load of fucking blood. I'd rather them do that. <laughs> so UFO got to number one in the UK as well. It was the number one album. So after that, they moved from Big Life to Sign with Ireland, which they released the live album Live 93. And then they uh, released their first studio album, Pom Fritz, a chaotic EP noted for its strange use of of samples and its lack of conventional (laughs) harmonies. Island Records hated it and didn't understand it at all, according to Patterson. (laughs) So, yeah, they kind of go off and do things. So they do do a bit of work with Robert Fripp. And eventually, Patterson and Weston fall out. So in an interview with ID Magazine about that, Thrash said, Alex got me in, but didn't do his 50% of the work. He couldn't play anything. Uh, Alex Patterson, in that Guardian interview that I mentioned earlier, he said the split was due to musical differences, man. Very much tongue-in-cheek when he said that. So mm-hmm. it was obviously quite an acrimonious parting of the ways, really. Uh, and there's been various lineup changes since then as well. Yeah, so, they, I mean, they've gone through various iterations. They've never really reached the high point that they kind of reached in, in this period. The, mm-hmm. They released Orbillion in May 96, which was delayed because Ireland wanted to release uh, U2's pop album. <laughs> Although they did have a, um, I mean, there's a great pun on Orb Villian, which is, uh, so their first single was the highest charting single by the Orb, which Toxigene. was Toxigene, yeah. um, which, is a, which is a great pun. It started life as a remix of one of the tracks on Oxygen parts 7 to 13. But there are various stories from various parties that either Jean-Michel Jarre didn't like what they were doing with it or the Orb decided they wanted to go a different direction. Anyway, it became not a remix of a Jarre track and the Orb's own track. And it is very good. So they've, you know, they've released various albums over the, over the period of time. They've had various people collaborate with them. Dave Gilmore collaborated with them on uh, Metallic Spheres in uh, 2010. Alex Patterson has continued to be the core member of the Orb, really. Um, And their most recent album, which was their 16th studio album, Abolition of the Royal Familiar, was released on the 27th of March 2020 and had uh, contributions from Youth, Roger Eno, Gaudi, 
David Harrow, Steve Hillage, and Miket Garodi um, from System 7. So, you know, they've, they've kept going, but they had less impact as time went on, really. Yeah, that's true. Although I would say to be still 30 odd years later, putting out records touring, it's no. Yes, they've never re- reached the commercial successes of the early mid 90s, but so many bands from that era, the same is true. I think it's testament to their longevity. I think it's testament to the audience that they established in that period. I think Abolition of the Royal Familiar is a really good album. As I said, that was the album that got me to go back and listen to Adventures Beyond the Ultra World. And I'm very glad I did. So what I'd say, and we've said this about loads of albums, I think the wider legacy of this album and of The Orb is in the acts that it influenced. We've mentioned quite a few of them already. Orbital, obviously, were their peers. Their first album came out also in 91, but I think they undoubtedly drew inspiration from The Orb and from this album. Uh, but I, I honestly, the shape of electronic music in this country, if not worldwide, I don't think it would have been anything like what it became had it not been for The Orb. Underworld, Left Field, The Prodigy, The Chemical Brothers. No, I mean, like, whilst I have not had a lovely time um, <laughs> listening to this album, I cannot deny that this album itself has a huge, huge, huge cultural impact on the development of electronic music, on the development of dance music, on the development of all kinds of different things, really. Whilst I may not like this album, what I have to give it credit for is the sheer scale and ambition of it. Like, as your debut to do a double album, fair fucks, you know. I'm glad you've said that. I am genuinely glad you've said that and and that you can appreciate that, because... Yes, I chose this album deliberately because I knew you would have an adverse reaction to it. But what I don't mean by that, I, I didn't choose it as a joke. I didn't choose it to be mean. I chose it because I thought, actually, it'd be good to get into something that we have a real disagreement about. Because it doesn't happen very often on mm-hmm. on this pod. And I knew that it, we would on this album. So that's why I chose it. So I'm really pleased that you can appreciate its influence and, and its craft and its ambition. Okay, uh, so, Tip, what's your best song? What's your worst song? I'm going to be fairly quick here. In terms of my best song, I'm going to be Captain Obvious again this week because as much as I really, really love ever-growing, pulsating brain, Little Fuffy Clouds is the best track on this album. It's an absolute classic. It's a banger. And my worst song, it's... Probably star six plus seven eight nine. It's just a bit too whimsical. So that's me. Okay. How about you? So on our best song, we are in complete concordance. It's the best song on the album by a fucking mile. <laughs> <laughs> My worst song is a huge, ever-growing, pulsating brain that rules from the center of the ultra world. Twenty fucking minutes. Fuck off. Twenty minutes. <laughs> you can't choose a track just because of how long it is. I can because it made me want to die during it. Okay, fine. We have never had that comment on Album Clash. The the, the track itself made me want to die. <sighs> okay, fine. That's your opinion. Shall we get to scoring? I wonder what you're going to pick as the worst album. <laughs> it's going to be a tough one this week. <laughs> right, it's my pick, so I go first on the KLF, yeah? You do. All right, The White Room. 
as I said at the start of last week's show, I fucking love the KLF. They were my real introduction into electronic music, into dance music, whatever you want to call it. And wow. Those three stadium house singles blew my mind when I was nine and continue to do so today. Okay, one of them isn't actually on the album, so we need to take that into consideration. But aside from the singles, there are a lot of tracks on there which I I really enjoy. I agree with what you said. I think the album version of Justified and Ancient is beautiful. I think tracks like Make It Rain are very enjoyable house tracks. However, I have to say that in part, I think the album is sounds like what it is. And that is an ambitious project to be a film soundtrack that was abandoned partway through and turned into something that would have some commercial appeal. I can't ignore that because... You can hear it, if you listen to the director's cut, you can hear what the ambition was. And what came out isn't that, alright? That's not to say I dislike it, far from it, because I really do like it. But it is going against it. So, as a whole, I'm going to give The White Room 7 out of 10. It's a really good album. But I think had they had a bit more money, and a bit more time, patience, whatever it is, it could have been a great album. But 7 out of 10 is where I'm going. Okay. So, I think there's a lot to like from this album. The three Trans Stadium tracks are massive and amazing. Mm. And even the version of Last Train to Transcentral, which is not as good as the, the single version, is still amazing. So, you know... You've got all that going on. You've got something like Make It Rain with a brilliant vocal performance and you've got the sax going on. And then the second half of the album completely throws you. It throws you a curveball. But like there's, there's some yeah. really good stuff going on and Justified and Ancients, that version uh, really shocked me because obviously when I saw it on the, on the album and I didn't know going into it that it was a different version of it's like it absolutely blew me away. I thought it was an amazing piece of work. But it's not perfect. There's things wrong with the track listing. No More Tears goes on for too long. So, you know, it, it's not a perfect album at all. But I think you were right in how you came down. I think it's a, it's a really solid album. So I think it is a really good 7 out of 10. So I'm happy to go with that myself. Okay, so that means the White Room gets 14 out of 20. Is that a beatable score? Hmm. (laughs) Okay, on to the Orb's Adventures Beyond the Ultra World. You lead us off. So, I like the opening track. (laughs) (laughs) I had an awful time listening to this every time I listened to it. Can I ask, how many times did you listen to this album? I gave it three listens, and I hated it every time. That That is testament to your professionalism. Well done. I honestly, I, I had a dreadful time. It was such hard work, and like particularly when I got to the last song, it's like, I've got 20 minutes of this. Like, I've had a dreadful time, and I've got another 20 minutes. I know exactly how long I've got to strap in for. I can't, like, I would never want to give 
a album a zero or a one because like that's unfair like there's more than enough going on here to justify giving above that because well one people can play instruments (laughs) (laughs) there is an element of technical proficiency it's perhaps the most reductive (laughs) praise i've ever (laughs) there is a technical proficiency that i can appreciate and in some of the songs there are elements that i like but i had an awful awful experience listening to this album i never want to listen to it again so <laughs> i i can only i can honestly only come down with a three out of ten i fucking hated it fuck off fuck i off. had an awful three time. out of ten jesus christ wow wow I, okay that's your opinion I mean, your opinion can get all the way in the fucking bin, <laughs> but it's your opinion, so, you know. All right, where am I going on Adventures Beyond the Ultra World? So, I'm going above three out of ten, to, to, you know. This is a concept album, and it's an ambient electronic album, and I said that when I announced this clash a couple of weeks ago. I warned you, and that warning was for you as much as the listeners, Kev. Oh, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> It's a challenging listen. The first time I listened to it, I was taken aback because it wasn't what I expected. Because it's nothing like what their sound has become in the 20 or 30 years since. So fine. It's a challenging listen. But if you if you open yourself to what the album is, and I realise that comes across as a criticism of you personally. I don't mean it as such, but I can't think of a better way of putting it. If you open yourself to what the album is, if you let yourself be immersed in it there is so much to offer so look as as i said earlier that if you get it then you get it it never it never got me so i i hold my hand up you know i, I don't feel you've you've criticized me that i just it never got me in the way that it needed to fine okay it's not a pop album it's an ambient album the orb are not my favorite act but I do think they are one of the most important acts in the history of electronic music, particularly in the UK. And I think this album is one of its most significant touchstones. There are moments of genius on it. Little Fluffy Clouds transcends the concept album and actually does become a great pop song. I think a huge ever-growing pulsating brain is a fucking great closer. I think there's so much to get into on that track. Every time I listen to it, I hear another element coming from somewhere, which just fascinates me. I think there are some great rhythms on earlier tracks. I think Into the Fourth Dimension is really, really interesting. I think Perpetual Dawn is a really good early 90s house track. So actually, there's more to get into than just ambient noises i am of a completely different opinion to you whilst i can understand your opinion i think three out of ten is ridiculously harsh and i think you are being somewhat churlish actually (laughs) it's a better album than the white room because it sets out to be something and it maintains that consistency in a way that as i said the white room doesn't seven and a half out of ten 
I don't think it's worth an eight because I can understand why it's so difficult for some people to get into. And I think that what electronic music became took this and made it better. But it's well deserving of a seven and a half out of ten. It doesn't win, so it gets ten and a half compared to 14. So it's a comfortable victory for the KLF. Uh, But that's where I'm going. Okay, fair enough. I understand the point you're making about that maybe it is harshly scored by myself, but I had a really bad time listening to it. What I will give you credit for is you gave it three goes. So it's not like you listened to it once and said, fuck off, never listen to that again. You gave it three goes. Fine. Yeah. I I tried three times and and had a dreadful time each time. Okay. I really like it. You don't. And I'm really glad that we have had such a disagreement because it's about time we did. Yeah, you know, we've got to keep the IP. Okay, so well done to Bill Drummond and Jimmy Corty of the KLF, of the Justified Ancients of Moo Moo, of the Time Lords. You have won Album Clash. Uh, There is no million pound prize for you to go and burn. All you can do is bask in the glory of knowing that you are victorious. So, I think we're going to do one more clash in our electro season. Is that right, Kev? That's right. We're going to do one more electronica. I'm sure we will return to this uh, subject at a later point. So, it's your pick. What are we doing next? So, I really really struggled with what I was going to do. So, I did consider returning to the Vince Clark Mm -hmm. oeuvre, but I decided not to go down that route. Okay. Because we've done two Vince Clark's albums already. <laughs> and, you know, we, we need to come back to him at a later point. So I've gone for two of the massively influential albums right at the start of the 1980s. Okay. We will open with Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark's organization. Ooh, okay. Versus Nonstop Erotic Cabaret by Soft Cell. Oh, wow. Excellent stuff. And essentially, the reason for this clash is the the template for uh, moody electronic music was essentially established by these two bands and Gary Newman. Yeah, indeed. And that's a good prequel, if you like, to the Vince Clark clash, because yeah. both of those albums were cited by him as references, uh, as influences on, on his sound. So very good. That's our next clash. Before then, however, Kevin, how can people keep in touch with the show? So if you are a Twitter user, you may, and you're um, situated in the UK, you may have noticed the hashtag uh, yesterday uh, from when we were recording, hashtag dick out, <laughs> which had nothing to do with anyone. Um, Indecent exposure. It was not well, exactly. And had more to do with uh, the head of the Metropolitan Police leaving. Whilst on Twitter, uh, you may want to check out our Twitter at Clash Album. If you are a fan of carefully curated content, you can go to um, Insta at, at Clash Album. Or if you want to send dick pics to... Um, or tell me that my Norton antivirus is, uh, subscription is expired. Or, or the, you know, with, with this pill, then uh, Tim can grow... All the way. Or if you are a Nigerian prince who needs to funnel $138 million out of his country, then give me a shout. Indeed. 
uh, you can go to albumclash at gmail.com. I was trying to remember the fictional country from coming to America then to try to make reference to, but I could not. Zamunda. 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 There, I got there it. You go. Well done. <laughs> uh, yeah, as I always say, keep in touch. Let us know what you like about the show. Let us know what you don't like. What clashes do you want us to do? Leave ratings, leave reviews on whichever platform you use to subscribe. Preferably nice ratings and, and five-star reviews, you know. So, next week, I'm going to be going through Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark's second album, Organization. And Kevin, a fortnight's time. I will be having a non-stop erotic cabaret with Soft Cell. <laughs> Very good. Uh, till then, however, I, as usual, have a Timothy. I will always be careful. And we'll see you next time. Take care, guys. Ta-da. Ta-da. Take care, yourselves.